Like Bob mentioned, we're beginning a new series this morning on the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, some of you may be familiar with the book. Others of you may just know that that's a book in the Old Testament with a long name that's hard to pronounce. And that there's a music group called The Birds that recorded a song that used a few verses from chapter 3. And there's a season, turn, turn, turn. And that's the extent of your knowledge of Ecclesiastes for some of you. Well, I'm hoping over the next several weeks as we dive in this book, we'll become more acquainted with the message of what the writer is trying to to get across. And I think what we'll find is as we dive into it, uh, God is going to give us a deeper appreciation for what He has done for us in Christ as we engage in this book. And so turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, and I want to set some of the context for our study. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 1 reads, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so a little context about the book is that uh, there's some debate about who wrote it. Uh, Many believe Solomon wrote it, the son of David. Others believe perhaps someone gathered some writings of Solomon and put together Ecclesiastes. Others believe that maybe someone was writing about Solomon or what Solomon wrote would have thought about these different things. But uh, even though it's it's perhaps not a slam dunk, I believe that Solomon was the author, and I'm going to explain why in just a moment. But Solomon was David's king, and Israel was experiencing great prosperity under Solomon. There was peace, fruitfulness. Solomon was a, uh, a wonderful king in some ways. And as he was moving into his kingship, uh, God asked him you know, what he would like as he moves into this position. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And God grants him that. And so Solomon was a very wise man, very knowledgeable, brilliant man. And yet with all his knowledge, uh, he still disobeyed God in a variety of ways and ultimately caused the kingdom of Israel to split. And so even though he had great wisdom and, and knowledge about a number of things, uh, it still did not prohibit him from disobeying God. And and many believe that the book of Ecclesiastes was written at the end of Solomon's life as he's reflecting back over his life, his decisions and whatnot, and then he's just wrestling with the idea of the meaning of life. And one argument that Solomon Solomon is in fact the author of the book is that Solomon was a man with unrivaled power, limitless riches, and he had access to just about any source of pleasure you can imagine, and he was brilliant. And so he just seems to be the perfect candidate uh, to write this type of book. And you'll see why in a moment as we dive into the chapters, because you'll see him doing a number of experiments to try to surface the meaning of life. And you recognize in order to pull off some of these experiments, you have to have great power, riches, uh, pleasure, etc., And what's interesting about this book of Ecclesiastes, it's like a grand experiment. And what's really interesting is that the experiment is is just how it's carried about. Because here's how it works. Solomon is doing these experiments on himself. He's the subject of the experiment. And so he's going to seek out meaning in different ways in life. And then as he does that, he's going to step back and take notes. And see if, in fact, he can find meaning in these different experiments that he's going to conduct on himself. 
And so now look at verse, the next 10 verses in chapter 1, and we're going to see what Solomon discovers about the meaning of life. Verse 2, he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now he says the preacher, don't think about me. Don't think about you know, the Christian preacher. What he's talking about there is someone who assembles a group and he's going to speak to them, okay? So it's not just a preacher in a church, but it's someone addressing a group. So, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Like Bob said, this is you know, encouraging right off the bat. Uh, all is vanity. Now, what does he mean by vanity? You know, he uses this term over and over and over again in this book, so it's important that we know what he's talking about. When I think of vanity, and maybe you do as well, when you first think of the word vanity, you think of worthless. At least I do. When I think of that word, vanity, worthless. But that's not what Solomon is getting at here. When he says vanity, he's using a word that means vapor. For example, if you step outside on a cold morning and you breathe out your breath, and then you know, you're able to see your breath, at least for a moment, and then it dissipates and dissolves and goes away, that's what he means by vanity. He's saying vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In other words, everything is fleeting. Nothing remains. And so that's what, how he's setting up his first experiment. And so he goes on to say in verse 3, he says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Now, have you ever asked that question? You know, I am working day in, day out. What profit is there for my work? Not only what profit is there as far as financially pro- what is financially profitable, but ultimately, is there any meaning about, you know, regarding what I'm doing? Or am I just spinning my wheels here? Solomon says, what gain or what profit does man receive by all the toil in which he toils at under the sun? So Solomon's kind of stepping, taking a step back and saying, Okay, I see these people, they're just working hard day in, day out. Is there any meaning to what they do? And then he uses the phrase that they're working under the sun. And this is important to understand this experiment. What he's saying is, if we consider life under the sun, S-U-N, under the sun, is there any meaning that can be derived from this life? If we we unhook life from God, and we just look at life under the sun, is there any meaning? Is there any purpose? And that's what he's going to seek to find out. That is the experiment. And so the first experiment that he's going to dive into here is he's going to look at the earth, he's going to look at the natural world, and he's going to say, can we derive meaning from the world? Listen to verse 4. He says, a generation goes... And a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. He's saying the earth is like a machine. It just keeps going, grinding forward. People come, people go, and it doesn't care whether you live or die. The earth is just continuing down its path, cranking it out. And generations come, and generations go. But the earth seems just to continue to go on. And then he gives us some examples of this in verses 5 through 7. 
He says the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. So the sun rises, sets, rises again, sets, and just continues on in that cycle. And then he says the wind blows to the south, goes around to the north, and around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the stream flows, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So in other words, from our point of view, the earth is just doing its thing whether we live or die. It's just plugging along. Thousands of years ago when this was written, Solomon's just stepping back and saying, you know what, the earth could care less whether you live or die. It's gonna just gonna, the sun's going to rise, the sun's going to set, whether you're here or not. The wind's going to blow, the streams are going to flow. And so he's taking a step back and he's saying, what's the purpose of life then? If we're just working hard and then we die and the earth could care less, it just continues on its cycle, is there any meaning in that? That's the question. I was, uh, I had all the kids the other day, and we went to uh, PetSmart. Have y'all ever been to PetSmart? This is my first time going to PetSmart, because as many of you may know, I don't have pets. I just have children. We just skipped the pet stage, went straight to the children stage. And uh, so... I'm worried if I ever if I have any more living things in my house, it may not make it. And so we just haven't been able to grasp pets yet. And so we're going to PetSmart, so my kids are excited that we're going to PetSmart, which means we probably will see an animal or two or some type of fish or something. So anyway, we get there, and because I'm going to buy something, okay? And so we go into PetSmart, we're looking around, and I find what I'm looking for. You seen one of these before? Some of you know what this is. It's a hamster wheel. And I told my kids, no, we're not getting a hamster. Dad's getting this for a sermon illustration. So, no hamsters for you. Sorry. So, if any of you all have hamsters or pets, let me know. I'll let my kids go visit yours, and then they can come back home. And that'll be all she wrote with that. But, you know, the ha- this is what Solomon's talking about. You know, the hamster wheel. He says, you know, this is life. And you know what the human equivalent of the hamster wheel is, right? The treadmill. That's what the treadmill is. You get on the treadmill, you're running, you're running, you're running, you're not going anywhere. And I was talking to my daughter about this, and she said, well, Dad, but it is good for you. And she's right. You know, you run on the treadmill, or you get on the human hamster wheel, and you're running, you're running, you're not going anywhere, but you're running. And so, hey, your blood pressure pressure may drop a little bit. You may become a little stronger. So instead of dying at 60, you might die at 90. But the point is, the earth, it keeps spinning, whether you're on it or not. And that's what Solomon's saying. That's life unhooked from God. The world will continue when you're long gone and no one knows who you are or who you were. The earth, the sun will rise, the wind will blow, the streams will flow. And so he's just simply stepping back and saying, you know what, we work so hard in this life and then we're put in the ground. Is that it? 
I mean, is that all there is? Is there any meaning in the life, in this life? Now, in the, at the hamster wheel, you know, like we were talking about, it may be good exercise, but the problem with the hamster wheel or the human treadmill is that, you know, of course, some of you can spin this wheel pretty fast if you were to get on it. Some of you, not so much. But, you know, the idea is you, you can go as fast as you want, but you're not getting anywhere. It's like the airplane pilot, when he, he, he made an announcement to the passengers, they were, they were flying in the airplane, and he says, I got some, some bad news and some good news. The bad news is we're lost. But the good news is we're making great time. You know, that's, that's the hamster wheel of life. You know, you're cranking it out, you're working hard, but where are you going? <laughs> what's it all for? That's what Solomon's asking. What is this all for? What is life? What's the meaning of life? Is it just we live, we work hard, we die, that's it? And that's why he says it's just vanity. Life is a vapor. He goes on to say, or actually one person said this, he said that uh, life bankrupts those who invest in it. And the context there is, if you unhook life from God, if you just unhook life from God, and this is all there is, under the sun, that's all we're considering, under the sun, if you invest in that life, it will bankrupt you. In other words, it cannot give you meaning. You cannot derive meaning from the natural world. In other words, this life apart from God can never give you what your soul longs for, and yet generation after generation lives as though it can. And one reason, uh, one reason for this is that we are very forgetful. Listen to what Solomon says in verse nine, verses nine through eleven. He says, "What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun." Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And so what he's saying is that every generation tends to be filled with a false hope. In other words, every generation that comes along forgets the generation before. In other words, every generation thinks we're the smarter ones, we're the more innovative ones, we're going to solve the problems. We're going to fix the world. And they tend to forget what has gone before. And so they think all their ideas, all their efforts are new when in fact they've been tried before. A funny example of this is, I don't know if you've all seen uh, the, the late night show uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live, I think it's called. But Jimmy Kimmel is a, a late-night TV host. And uh, he said, you know, all right, we're going to do this um, man-on-the-street interview, okay? Apple has put out this announcement recently. They've, they've come out with a new iPhone, a new cell phone, okay? The iPhone 6S or whatever it is. And Jimmy Kimmel said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out on the street with our video camera. And we're going to interview people. And we're going to tell them, you know, in, in light of Apple's new announcement, they have this brand new phone, and we want to get your thoughts on it. We have a prototype version. 
But what he didn't tell them is the phone they're going to give them to try out was the, is the very first iPhone that was made in 2007. So they think they're getting the new iPhone, but it's actually the first, very first iPhone that Apple released in 2007. And so they're interviewing these people, and he hands them this, you know, eight-year-old cell phone, and they're looking at it, and they're thinking, wow, this is great. It, it fits in my hand so perfectly. Look at the screen, it's so clear. You know, the processor's working so fast, the camera's so great. <laughs> and they're looking at the very first iPhone. And it's just a, a funny story, I think, a funny illustration of how uh, this truth Solomon is, is putting forth here is very evident. You know, we think something's new when it's not. And maybe a more sobering illustration is the, uh, the Republican debate the other night. Maybe, you some, maybe some of you watched this. You know, each, each candidate has his or her special way of putting it, but each of them is saying what all candidates in the past have said, whether they're Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever. And here's, here's the campaign promise. No matter who you are, how you, how you say it, what your specifics are, here's the bottom line. If you elect me, the world will be a better place. Right? Usually what they say is, this is wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Elect me, I'm going to fix it. Don't you want to elect me? You know, elect me and the world's going to be a better place. And guess what's going to happen? We're going to elect a new president next year, which I think we should do our due diligence. We should think about the topics and their stances and how they're going to run things because they can do temporary good. That's elected officials and leaders. They can. And so we need to be mindful of how we elect our our leaders. But at the same time, after four years of, of ruling and leading, guess what? We're going to have another debate. And guess what the candidate's promise is going to be? Elect me, and the world's going to be a better place. It's the same promise over and over again. And Solomon's just simply stepping back and saying, you know what? Every generation thinks they're going to fix the world. And they will not. They cannot. And there's only one person that can fix the world, and that's Jesus Christ. That's what Solomon's getting at in this book. That mankind in and of himself is trying to fix the problem of sin and brokenness of the world. And you cannot do it. Now you can put a band-aid on it. You can maybe uh, restrain some of the effects of it. But you cannot fundamentally change it. Only Christ can do that. And so Solomon simply stepping back and saying, you know, can you find meaning in life apart from God? I'm trying to find out if you can. And so far, the answer is a resounding no. Because when you unhook life from God, there is no meaning. You can't derive meaning from something that is finite, temporary. And yet, we see a stark contrast between the experiment that Solomon is putting on here in chapter 1 to what the rest of the Scripture says. You know, Solomon's looking at the world unhooked from God and he's saying this is like a machine just grinding you up and just continuing on its course regardless of whether you live or die. But then when you pan out in this, you know, to the Scripture as a whole, you realize for those who have faith in God and believe in God, we see creation in a different way, don't we? We see that the heavens declare the glory of God. 
We see creation as uh, a picture of the goodness of God. And we see how we can even use and enjoy creation. But at the same time, we, we don't try to derive meaning from creation. We don't worship the creation rather than the Creator. Those of us who believe in God seek meaning from Him. Our identity is wrapped up in who He is and what He has said, not in what we see in the world around us. And so that helps us to be able to enjoy creation without trying to drive our meaning and our identity from it. And so Solomon is simply stepping back and saying, when you unhook life from God, you know, you're left with the hamster wheel. That's just grinding you through life and eventually you're going to go into the ground and it's going to continue plugging along. That's life unhooked from God. There is no meaning to life. But if you have faith in God, if you have faith in Christ, then listen to these words of Jesus in John 10.10. He says, I came that they may have life and have it to the full or abundant life. In other words, the Bible teaches that apart from Christ, we're dead. In other words, we, we cannot derive meaning, purpose. We cannot enjoy life the way it's meant to be lived apart from Christ. There's a deadness there. And it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we are made alive. In other words, it's only through Christ that we can experience life the way it's meant to be lived. And so Solomon is simply saying, if you unhook life from God and you're trying to find meaning in your work or whatever you're doing, you're just on the hamster wheel. You're not going anywhere. Work hard as you may. And then throughout this book, he's going to say, if you want meaning, you must connect to God. And the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. And so as we close Solomon's first experiment this morning, we have a choice to make. We all have a choice to make, and that is this. You can either continue you know, running the, the, the human hamster wheel, give it your best shot, or you can seek to find meaning through life in Jesus Christ and begin to live the way God intended. But ultimately, the choice is yours. Let us pray. God, we come to You and we thank You that in the midst of this machine of earth and the natural processes that go on and on, You have spoken. You have made Yourself known through Your Son and through Your Word. And Lord, we read those words of Jesus that He came to give us life and give us life to the full. And we realize that it's by placing our trust in Him and in Your Word, not placing our trust in the things of the earth that we find meaning and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction in You. Lord, I pray that You would help each of us as we go through life, even today and this week, that we would not become discouraged by disappointments in this life, but rather we would uh, have our eyes turned to You and we'd be filled with hope because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished, what He is accomplishing, and what He will accomplish. Lord, help us to see that our meaning, our identity, our significance is rooted in You and not in the things of this world. And as a result, Lord, You you give us the privilege once we find our identity in You to be able to enjoy this life. Enjoy the world You've made. 
observe it, use it, enjoy it. Lord, help us to um, learn from Solomon. Help us not to make the same mistakes. Help us to learn from his experiment so that we may walk in true wisdom in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.